Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. The mission of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is to expand your consciousness, stimulate your thought, enhance your mental and physical health, and encourage community. Hi, folks. Glad to be with you today. March 19th, 2013. What a wonderful day to be alive. What a wonderful day to have good health. And if you don't have good health or you're suffering from stress, you're going to want to listen to our interview today with Dr. Jed Diamond. I'm going to be interviewing him about his latest book, one of many books he's written. His latest book is called Men Alive, Stop Killer Stress with Simple Energy Healing Tools. So stay tuned for this interview with Dr. Jed Diamond on his book, Men Alive. But first, news and notes in psychology and medicine. Well, cell phones, everybody is, whew, what are we, uh, grafted onto our ears, uh, holding into our hands all the time, stuck in our pockets? No, they're not in our pockets, they're on our ears. Despite increasing media attention and laws forbidding the practice, more Americans than ever are using their cell phones to talk and send messages while driving. How about you folks listening? Do you talk on your cell phone while you're driving? Doesn't everybody? Do you send texts with your thumb while you're driving, taking one hand off the wheel? Well, many of us do. It turns out that 70% of Americans aged 18 to 64 said they had chatted on their phones while driving in the past 30 days. And about 30%, one out of every three drivers, is sending text messages with their thumb while they're driving with the other hand. Let's see how that works. One hand on the wheel, one hand on the phone, one eye looking out on the road, one eye on the text on the phone, is that about it? Uh, one eye on each, do the eyes work that way? I don't know, but it's happening to all of us, myself included, mea culpa. Well, uh, and, and the finding is that um, it's a matter of habit, and while at least 70% say they've done it in the past month, 30% reported they used it much more often than that, and... We are way ahead of Europe. Why are we way ahead of Europe? Well, they're conjecturing that the reason is in Europe, it's a national crime, a federal crime. In our country, it goes uh, state by state. And what more can we say about this, folks? How do we turn around something where 70% of us are already doing it? And according to this report, more and more people are using their cell phones for phoning and texting while they're driving than ever before. Uh, putting ourselves at risk. What do you all think about it? Want to call me or email me, drrichardlmiller at gmail.com? Give me your thoughts. Is this something we should be concerned about? Are we going to be killing each other or maiming each other at a higher rate because we're distracted by using the cell phones, which we all use now? Every single place you go, somebody has a cell phone. Don't know quite what to say about that, except that the 70% figure is a figure that sticks in my mind because 70% of the United States is now obese or overweight. It's another giant, if I may use that word, uh, steamship 
that were attempting to turn and having a very hard time turning. Seems like more and more people are getting heavier and heavier rather than lighter and lighter. 70% obese and overweight, 70% using cell phones while we're driving. Hmm. Well, I would be interested to hear what you all think about this. It's uh, a, a two national phenomena, but let's move on. Here's uh, an interesting article I came across about, quote, the best path to healthy weight, this is related to this weight issue, may be a good night's sleep. Yep, for years researchers have known that adults who sleep less than five or six hours a night are at a higher risk of being overweight. Among children, sleeping less than 10 hours a night is associated with weight gain. Do you get that, folks, who have kids? Sleeping less than 10 hours a night is associated with weight gain. Wow. How does this come about? Well, the study uh, put people in a special room that allowed researchers to track their metabolism. They measured the amount of oxygen they used, the amount of carbon dioxide they produced. Every bit of food they ate was recorded, and their sleep schedules were strict and imposed. The goal was to determine how inadequate sleep over just one week, similar to what might occur when students cram for exams or when office workers stay up late to meet a deadline, how this affects a person's weight behavior and physiology. During the first week of the study, half the people were allowed to sleep nine hours a night, while the other half stayed up until about midnight and then could sleep up to five hours. Everyone was given unlimited access to food. In the second week, the nine-hour sleepers were restricted to five hours of sleep, while the sleep-deprived participants were allowed an extra four hours. Well, guess what, folks? It turns out that staying up late and getting just five hours of sleep does increase your metabolism, which would make you think you would lose weight. However, yes, you would think that would make you lose weight, increasing your metabolism, and it does. It, it increases. The, the sleep-deprived people did burn more calories, actually 111 more calories every day from being sleep-deprived. However, and here's the kicker, the people who slept late overate, and they overate carbohydrates. They ate more food, and when they ate food, the food changed. The way they ate food changed. They ate smaller breakfasts and a lot more for dinner. The bottom line is in just one week, in just one week, the sleep-deprived people gained, gained two pounds. What do you think of that? Well, I think it means we have to be a lot more attentive to our sleep. But it also means that the study proved that if you do this cramming because you're in school or you're working and you put in a lot of extra hours, in that one week alone, you can gain a couple of pounds. That means if you do that once a month, if you're on that kind of schedule, at the end of the year, you can gain 24 pounds just by sleeping less. Meaning, we now know that the sleeping mess less is <laughs> the sleeping mess is an interesting slip. The sleeping less is going to create eating more, and you're going to gain an average of about two pounds a week. Well, what do you think of that, Mike? More time to eat. More time to eat, <laughs> because you're, that's a simple way of looking at it, and sometimes as simple is the most obvious, isn't it? 
you're, you're sleep deprived, you're awake more, you have more time to eat, four more hours of eating time. I like that a lot, Mike. Well, on the topic here of, um, of eating and what we take in, uh, salt, salt is the next culprit. You know, we've got fat as a culprit, salt is the next culprit. Yep. This is a study that, um, boy, they served 700 popular meals in, and they checked out and, 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 uh, at celebrity chef restaurant and at fast food places. See, it turns out that if you have more than 2.4 grams of salt in a portion, it gives you a red traffic light label. In other words, if you've got that in your food, that's a red light. That's, that's much too much. That's a huge amount of salt in a portion. As you're listening to this, what are you all thinking? When you cook, are you putting salt in your food? How about when you eat and you get a plate of food in a restaurant, is the first thing you do, do you reach out for the salt and put some salt on it? Do you have a salt habit, in other words? And why is this important? Well, high salt diet has been linked to a number of serious health conditions, including stomach cancer, osteoporosis, kidney disease, high blood pressure, and yet, salt is one of those things that we taste with our taste buds. We like the taste of salt. Sometimes I think I'm just like um, some kind of a grumpy guy here pointing out all the terrible things about eating fat, salt. You got to exercise and watch out what you eat. And Mike, it's like we're on a, some kind of a disaster train of what to eat and how to work it off. That doesn't sound like fun. We've got to make this thing a lot more fun in some way. How can we make staying fit and healthy? How can we make prevention? Prevention means staying healthy so that you don't get sick. That's the best way to stay out of the hospital, isn't it? To stay healthy. It's the best way to reduce your, your medical bills is to stay healthy. So the question I'm asking all of you and asking myself is, how do we make staying healthy a lot of fun rather than just a, oh, there, I got to do that again, or I got to watch what I eat again, or got to watch what I drink. All this watching, God, you could need six pair of glasses for all the watching you've got to do. Then you have an eye problem, and you've got to go to the ophthalmologist because you've been watching so much to be careful. Well, kidding aside, well, no, I shouldn't say that. Why should I put kidding aside? Let's always have some kidding going on. Think of some ways. Call me up or... Send in an email, drrichardlmiller at gmail.com. Send me an email. How do we make fun? How do we have fun staying healthy? How do we have fun eating healthy food? How do we have fun exercising? How do we, we just make these things lighthearted instead of heavy-hearted? <laughs> Maybe our guest today will be able to shed some light on having fun and staying healthy. Our guest today is Dr. Jed Diamond. His latest book, Men Alive, Stop Killer Stress with Simple Energy Healing Tools. Dr. Jed Diamond. He has been here before. He's a founder and director of Men Alive, a health program that helps men and women who love them to live well throughout their lives. That sounds like a good thing to do. Jeff has written many books, at least 10 books. He's been a licensed therapist, uh, uh, for over 40 years, he's written 10 books, including some that are international. 
He's been featured in major newspapers around the United States, including the New York Times, the Boston Globe, the Wall Street Journal, the Los Angeles Times, USA Today, and he's been on more than a thousand radio and television programs. That's a lot. What a privilege to have you here today. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Jed. Well, thank you. It's uh, great to be with you. Good. Glad to have you. Your latest book, Men Alive. How did you come to write a book called Men Alive, and, and uh, how did that start? Where did that come from, Jed? Well, I, I, you know, we talk about uh, you know, taking care of ourselves, uh, eating well, exercising, and having fun. And Men Alive has been uh, kind of the vehicle through which I've been doing that in my own life and helping others, uh, not only to, to keep men alive physically so we live longer, but alive in our joy and well-being. And uh, when I decided to write a book on how do we get the stress in our lives under control and how do we learn to manage it better, uh, Men Alive seemed to be the positive side of that. Instead of getting bogged down in all the negative ways in which stress affects us, I wanted to think, what can we do to, to uh, enliven our lives? And uh, it's a, 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 a book that I've been uh, you know, working on for some time and gathering information. And uh, as you say, it's uh, recently out and ready to share it with the world. Well... You also have written in the past uh, about a concept that's the other side of men alive in a certain way. It's called the irritable male syndrome. And, and is men alive in some way a response to being an irritable male? Well, it is. Uh, you know, I found that one of the, you know, there's a number of ways in which stress expresses itself in our lives. And one of the ways that seems very common with men is irritability, anger, just, you know, er the whole range from just feeling like, you know, things bug us, things get on our, our, our nerves, uh, you know, increasingly, uh, to major kind of uh, anger and road rage and uh, uh, domestic violence. I mean, there's a whole range of things. And, you know, one of the studies that I did was uh, really understanding the relationship between male irritability and anger, and how that relates to male depression and the feelings of uh, hopelessness and helplessness that so many men, you know, get into. And I came to see that a lot of these uh, feelings and expressions are a result of the stresses in men's lives. And the good news is that we know now there's a lot of things that we can do about these issues that we really didn't know about even a few years ago. So if you're listening to this and you're saying to yourself, well, what's, what's this doctor talking about, this Dr. Diamond, about irritable male? Am I one of these irritable males? Well, I wondered about it when, while I was preparing for this, uh, for this broadcast. So I went online to, uh, to Je I Googled Jed Diamond, and I found um, a quiz called the Irritable Male Syndrome Quiz that, uh, that Jed put together and did research on. And what he does here is he lists uh, uh, many different moods, such as angry, impatient, blaming, dissatisfied, moody, fearful, discontented, grumpy, annoyed, and so on. Too many to read all of them right now. And then there's a, a little quiz, and you answer each of these questions. For example, impatient. Are you impatient most of the time, frequently, sometimes not at all? 
and then after you answer all the questions, as I did, you push a little button on your computer, and uh, and you get a score. So, um, by the way, for those of you who are listening, this uh, this little quiz is a very popular quiz. I see here, three hundred and eighteen thousand two hundred and thirteen people have already taken this quiz. That's a nice number, Jed. That's a, it is. That's a nice number. It really number. started out from a research study that I did uh, in preparation for writing the book, and I wanted to really try to get a handle on, uh, yeah, we all get irritable at times, we all get overstressed at times, so how do we know, you know, when it's really becoming a problem? And so I did a research study to try to test that out, and I uh, had uh, you know, a couple of hundred men, uh, you know, fill out the questionnaire and did it online. And what I found was not only did it help me understand better what was going on with men, but men really found it a very useful tool. Uh, you know, I'd get uh, feedback from, from men saying, you know, my wife's been telling me I've been irritable and, you know, that things bother me. And I, I just never believed her. And then I took the quiz and it, you know, I got a score and it really helped me recognize that compared to now the uh, literally thousands and thousands of people that have taken the quiz, it helps people understand to what degree this may be a problem. So it, it went from research tool to I decided to just leave it up uh, on the net so people could use it themselves, find out, evaluate, uh, you know, where they are or somebody they love. A lot of women will take the quiz to see, well, you know, here's how I see my husband. I'm going to take it as I see him, and then I encourage the man to take it. Then you can compare notes. You can talk about, uh, you know, how does he see himself compared to how she sees him, and it's turned out to be a really, really helpful tool for uh, men and women all over the world to assess their level of stress and their level of uh, irritability and depression that they may have in their lives. I found it helpful. It just took me about five minutes or ten minutes to to answer all the questions. But as I was doing that, it was a it was a good self reflection on where I've been. I thought to myself, "Gee, you know, this is the kind of thing I could take it once a month because these items are not static; they don't stay with us forever." But right. I could be I could be having a particular month where I'm worried or impulsive or I'm feeling that I have a lot of desire to eat or I'm overly self-critical. These are all words from his test, by the way, folks. You know, how am I this month? Am I feeling defensive? As I took the test, I was thinking, boy, it's going to be interesting to see how I uh, come out on this thing. Uh, will I be uh, too irritable to even go to the program tomorrow and conduct the interview? Maybe I'll be in a bad mood. But uh, I wasn't, but <laughs> too bad a mood. I'm here. Um, but in any event, folks, it's an easy test. So you find out, let's, let's go through it now. A person finds out that they, let's say, they get a number which indicates that they're pretty irritable. Uh, what do they do? What should they do? Well, let me just back up a step, Richard. Uh, uh, you found me by Googling that. Uh, a simple, I have a, a specific web address that people can go to to take the quiz, and it's called IMS, the the letters IMS. Oh, irritable quiz. male syndrome, IMS, right? IMSquiz.com. Mm -hmm. And you can go in, that'll take you right to right to the quiz. So okay. for your listeners uh, who don't want to kind of search me out through Google, that's a, a simple way they can connect and, and take the quiz. Okay. IMSquiz.com. IMS, folks, that stands for I for irritable, M for male, S for syndrome. Irritable male syndrome quiz, and you can be on it and get a score immediately. Okay. What next? 
So once people get the idea, and there's two things that you pointed out that are, I think, really important. Uh, one is that it's really less important what your score is, whether you, you know, have a number as it is to reflect on, well, where am I? What are the issues? Uh, you know, how, how, how is this playing in my life? So, uh, you know, a lot of people are concerned, well, you know, if I don't score this, does that mean I'm not? If I score this, then what? So it's, it's a, a tool for dialogue, number one. And secondly, as you point out, it's a way you can track kind of your, your mood through time. Uh, and I used it exactly the same way that you do, that periodically I'll take it, you know, once a week, once a month. And so I can see trends. I can see if, you know, irritability is getting worse over time or getting better. And, you know, then we can talk about it. So once you, you, you reflect on it, you understand it. Then there's a lot of things that, you know, that we can do. Uh, you know, that's really the, you know, the core of what I've discovered is there some relatively easy stress reduction tools that we can build into our lives. I mean, some of the ones you, you discussed earlier, you know, we can change our diet, we can get better sleep, we can get more exercise. But there's also, you know, <laughs> simple, fun tools that we could, you know, put into our lives that enable us to do these things, in a sense, more easily than some of the traditional psychotherapeutic ways that, you know, we've used for years of psychotherapy or, you know, medications, which, uh, again, are, are useful for some people at some time. But many of us, and I think many men in particular, you know, want something that they can do quickly and easily and immediately and get quick results. And that's the things that, uh, you know, I'm uh, have developed and, and teach people about how to do. How dangerous is stress, in your opinion? Does, how, does it, how, how much can it hurt us, and does it kill us? Well, you know, there, there are more and more studies that just implicate stress in all kinds of uh, problems, from heart disease to diabetes to uh, uh, even cancers uh, we, we know are susceptible. In fact, you know, studies have indicated that probably 80% uh, of all the the doctor visits that people make uh, for all the different problems that people have, you know, have a stress-related component. Uh, so we know stress, you know, as I said, why said stop killer stress, because in fact stress does kill us and, you know, saps our energy, saps our strength, and in, in fact, you know, causes us not only to die sooner, but to live sicker in our lives. And so I think everybody you know, wants to, you know, and wants to reduce stress, but we need, in a sense, a stress-free stress relief, you know, for so many people. They go, yeah, I could do this or I could do that, but God, it stresses me out even to think about it. I don't have time to do all those things. So the criteria that I used in selecting the, the uh, two, I call them tools, is that they had to, one, be effective. I had to know they worked. I had to have used them myself. Secondly, they had to be scientifically sound. They had to really have some, you know, good research that showed their validity. Third, they had to be easy to apply and easy to, to practice. And, and fourth, they, they had to be, you know, fun. Uh, you know, they had to be things that you could do that uh, would, would feel easy and good and effective, but wouldn't stress you out. But wouldn't stress you out. Stress is part of life. It's part of existence, isn't it? Exactly. Or, or is it? it is, isn't it? Yeah, and there's a difference between stress, which is, 
you know, change, really. You know, life is about change and stress is, you know, is, is a result of change. The difference is that we don't want to be overstressed or stressed out. And, you know, we know that the way stress has operated in, in human body through, you know, all of our history is that for the most part we were dealing with acute stresses. You know, a wild animal would come into the village and we would have to fight or flee. And, you know, all the, the, the chemicals that would go through our body, hormonal changes and physiological changes, and we'd, we'd fight the animal, we'd run away, and we'd get back to a, a, a normal, you know, level. But now we're dealing with chronic stresses. We're stressed all the time. The same physiological reactions that we have when a wild animal comes at us also happen when we have traffic and we have emails that are coming in, cell phones that are attached to our ears and, you know, giving us, you know, more information, more things we have to deal with. So we get overstressed or chronically stressed, and that is not good for us. Well, I'm reading here in your book that uh, some of the, uh, the sequelae of stress that's coming both out of your book and then you got from uh, the, the Hans Selye, who was one of the pioneers in the whole area of stress. You're talking here about stress contributing to coronary heart disease, sudden death, congestive failure, uh, hypertension, stroke, prostate problems, lung and breast cancer, esophageal reflux, peptic ulcer, irritable bowel, my gosh, I mean, it goes on and on. Even hemorrhoids, Alzheimer's disease, depression, anxiety, panic disorders, diabetes, arthritis, infertility, all of these are contributed to by stress. Is that correct? Exactly right. And, and you know, in a sense, the bad news is that there's so many of the problems in life, you know, it's stressful just to listen to them, you know, just to, to hear listen. them listed, more or less, to, to be dealing with them. Sure, because the everybody is, sure. is that Underneath all of these various illnesses are a single metabolic change that's called stress, and that there's simple things we can do to deal with stress so you don't have to wait until you deal first with heart disease or diabetes and all that other list of things. Why not practice these simple stress-relieving tools and deal with the core of these problems before they occur? Before they do, because I'm leading here on your list, and... A stress, the amount that stress contributes to the immune system disturbance, which is so important because our immune system is involved with everything. So in other right. words, once our immune system goes down as a function of stress, all heck can break loose. Exactly. Yeah. And if we can strengthen our immune system, like for instance, one of the, one of the tools that I describe in the book is called heart coherence. It's a simple tool that we teach people how to focus on the energy of the heart, to just breathe as though they were breathing through the heart. And while you're doing that, holding an idea, uh, an experience, a memory of something that was pleasurable, something that was, you know, gave you joy. And what we find is that when people do that, the actual rhythm of the heart, the heartbeat, comes into coherence. That is, it becomes rhythmic. Beats a little faster, beats a little slower, beats a little faster, and so on in a rhythmic way. And we find that that simple little tool practiced, you know, easily. It, you, you can do it in, you know, a matter of seconds. And yet we found we can actually hook people up to a heart rate monitor and we can see not only that their heart comes into coherence, but the 
the indicators of stress, cortisol in the blood system goes down. So we find with these simple little tools, we actually can change the way our physiology is. We can change the way the heart communicates with the brain, the way our immune system functions, and we can reduce, you know, these many, many stresses that we have in our lives. Take us through that one again. Let's see. You're sitting down. You, you focus on your heart. Yeah, there's three steps. Oh, the let's first hear is them, please. heart focus. So I tell people, you know, put your hand over your heart. Just focus your attention okay. on your heart area. All Something right, let's everybody do that. do while they're listening to Yes, me. I'm doing it right now. Okay, hand on the heart. the second thing is you breathe as though you were breathing in and out through your heart. So you just imagine that you're breathing in through your heart. You're breathing out through your heart. Second step. Mm-hmm. Heart breathing. The third step you is... You feel lighthearted that way. It's yeah, you nice. feel lighthearted. And then think of a memory of a time when you felt particularly lighthearted or grateful. Could have been for me when, you know, one of my children were born uh, or just walking in, you know, in the woods near my house that's very beautiful. Right. So you just hold an image. I've got one. Just for I've... a few seconds while you're breathing in and out through your chest area, and you hold in your consciousness a, an image of something peaceful and beautiful. I've got it. I, I've got a picture of Mike and I coming into the studio, and everything is working properly, and we have no last-minute anxiety of what <laughs> right. to do with all the different wires right before we go on air. That's a nice picture. Exactly. I like that one. And we, you know, part of the, 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 the thing I have to, in a sense, warn people is, 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 when I write and I talk to them is that these seem so simple and so easy and, and, and so, you know, in a sense, joyful that people have a hard time believing that they're actually going to work. Because it's so simple and obvious, yeah. Yeah, we're so trained to think if something's going to work to prevent heart disease or, you know, reduce my risk of cancer, it has to be painful, it has to be difficult, it has to take a lot of time, it certainly should be expensive and something I should at least have to pay a doctor a lot of money for, or a therapist a lot of money for. Definitely. Uh, and the thought that you can do this for free, you just did it, the people that were listening. Yep. And believe me, you know, if we had looked everybody up to a stress meter, we would find your stress went down. And it didn't cost you anything. I, it I, cost I, you a thing. Jed, you better watch out here. I think you're in conflict with the entire Judeo-Christian sense of morality. <laughs> I you know, hope so. You're giving away something for nothing. Well, I'm going to call this, uh, you call it heart coherence. I'm going to call it the diamond pledge because it comes from <laughs> Jed Diamond and it feels like you're pledging. You're putting your hand over your heart. Very nice. All I right. like that. The diamond pledge. My hand's over my heart. I breathe as if I'm breathing in and out of my heart and I picture some very relaxing situation in my life. In and out. Very simple. That's a great one. By the way, folks, you're listening to Dr. Jed Diamond. He's here today. We're fortunate to have him here today. He's talking about his latest book, Men Alive, Stop Killer Stress with Simple Energy Healing Tools. We just heard about the first one, which he calls Heart Coherence. I'm calling it the Diamond Pledge. Let's hear about another one of these tools. Well, here, here's a, a, another one. I'll tell you a little story about this one. The, the second one is called Earthing or Grounding, and it's basically connecting ourselves to the earth. I'll tell you how I got onto this. Uh, after writing my last book, I, you know, I spent a lot of time sitting, a lot of time mental work, 
and I felt I needed some kind of physical challenge to kind of get me out of my head, back into my body. I, I talked to my, my son, who's a real jock, athlete guy, and he said, Dad, I got a great idea. Here's something we can do. We'll run a marathon together. We'll train and, you know, we'll run a marathon. I said, oh, man, you know, that's, that's interesting. But, that, you know, I, I never ran a marathon in my life. You know, even when I was young and, and active and, and running, I'd run, you know, 10Ks kind of thing. What do you so, oh, well, that's okay. We'll, we'll train for a marathon, but do a race that has a half marathon, a 10K. If you're not up for it, you do the short one, I'll do the long one. I say, great. So we start training for uh, six months to get ready for potentially a marathon. What a lovely well, thing. I what discovered a this idea called earthing. And basically, it's a concept, very simple, very straightforward, uh, the guy Clint Ober, who uh, wrote a book called Earthing, realized that all of us, you know, look around, think of yourself, are wearing rubber-soled shoes, you know, running shoes, whatever, that are insulated, that keep us disconnected from the earth. He wondered, you know, what is happening if all of us now are insulated from the earth when for most of human history we either walk barefoot or we wore, you know, leather-soled moccasins that, you know, kept us connected to the energy field of the Earth. He did studies that found, in fact, that the disconnection kept the, you know, the, the, the connection to the electrical field of the Earth from coming into our bodies and normalizing us. And we found that inflammation, which we know is one of the core issues, not only of stress, but of you know, other kind of physiological problems, heart disease as an example, you know, is increased when we're disconnected from the earth. It decreases when we are connected to the earth. So the simple thing I did was I took my shoes off after I would go out for a run and spend 10 minutes connected to the earth. Well, as happened, I told my son, listen, you ought to try this out. You know, we all get inflammation after we run. Uh, you know, your muscles get sore. I'm noticing my muscles aren't getting sore. You ought to try this. He said, Dad, thanks, but, you know, I, I do my own sports routine. I kind of know this. That sounds pretty quirky and way out. You go ahead. Well, it turned out after four months into our training, my son got injured. His legs <laughs> it gave out, and I was still feeling great, so he had to drop out. And I went ahead and ran and completed the first marathon that I've ever run. This is three years ago. At well, congratulations. Age, uh, 67 in my life. Excellent. And I attribute it to this very simple concept and practice that's called earthing or grounding. Fantastic. Well, although uh, next thing you know, you're going to have us hugging trees. Well, if you do it with your bare feet, uh, and, and we actually have meters that you can measure the connection to the earth and see whether, in other words, if you're standing there hugging a tree and you're wearing rubber-soled shoes, we can see that there's no electrical, you know, uh, energy coming between you and the earth. We know the earth, you know, is, is a magnet, you know, and it has a electrical potential. And everything that's connected to the earth, think about the trees, think about the animals, think about everything that lives on the earth is connected to the earth. And humans have been connected to the Earth through most of human history until the last, what, 20 years that we've been wearing rubber-soled shoes, and almost everybody wears them, and almost everybody 
now suffers from various problems, and we don't need to do that. In fact, there's even now some shoes that you can get, you know, so you don't have to go barefoot, that connect you to the energy field of the Earth so that you're connected all the time when you're outside and not just uh, when you take your shoes off. Do you say uh, that there, there is a machine that, that can actually measure the, uh, the uh, energy that's going back and forth between a human and the ground? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I forget what it's called. I, I wrote about it because I had uh, you know, seen it operating, and you can actually uh, you know, measure you know, the degree of the you know, electrical field uh, that you are connected with, and they've shown it's similar to the heart coherence. they actually shown with that technique that there's an actual electrical field that the heart puts out. It's actually a stronger electrical field than the brain. Well, our body, you know, is putting out an electrical field. The Earth is putting out an electrical field. Uh, you know, for most of us, through most of human history, our electrical fields were connected, and we balanced out, you know, our stress and our energies. We're not doing that anymore, uh, and it's not surprising, <clears throat> excuse me, that we're getting more stressed and we're not, in a sense, de-stressing. And that's, you know, what I'm trying to get people to recognize. We can't, nor would we want to, stop stress, but we can stop the effects of overstress. Heart coherence is one, uh, uh, or the diamond pledge, I like that. And earthing or grounding is another way we can do it. Folks, if you want to call in and and, uh, ask uh, Jed a question about uh, the two of the tools he's mentioned so far, um, please do. The telephone number here is 707-937-5103. I repeat, 707-937-5103. Pick up the phone. Give Jed a call. We'll answer your question. You'll be most welcome. Let's move on. We have time here, Jed. Let's move on to a couple of other tools for stopping killer stress. Killer right. stress. What an interesting... And it does. It does kill us. Uh, which one do you want? Let's talk about um, emotional freedom techniques, EFT. What is that? Yeah, it's uh, also known as tapping. And uh, again, the story how I got onto this is I had... Uh, uh, a shoulder injury that was chronic that I had as a kid playing football. And as I got older, you know, it was causing me more and more problems and went to doctors and all they could offer was either some kind of painkillers or surgery. And I said, well, God, there's got to be something, you know, that, that I could do instead of that. And one of the I said, well, you might try acupuncture. And I, oh, you know, I've heard of that. Uh, you know, I might try. So I, I, uh, you know, went to an acupuncturist, and the truth is, I'll admit this on the air, I'm afraid of needles. Needles scare me, even the little needles that the acupuncturist do. So, you know, I said, well, is there, you know, is there anything, you know, like acupuncture, but without the needles? And so, well, you know, there actually is. There's a, a technique that's called emotional freedom techniques. It's also called tapping. And basically what it is is using the the meridians of, of the body, the same places that you put, you know, the acupuncture needles in, only you tap, you know, gently with your fingertips on these various uh, meridian points, you know, on the forehead, on the side of the eyes, under the eye, under the nose, you know, in, in, a, in a sequence while you're holding a, a, a problem or a stressful memory in your consciousness. And what we find is that 
the the brain structure that holds these traumatic memories or this stressful experience disappears under the influence of these tapping techniques. A little hard to describe over the telephone or for people, you know, who can't see me, but, you know, trust me, it's a very simple technique. You know, it works, and more and more people are trying out emotional freedom techniques or tapping as a way of dealing with, with trauma and stress. In fact, one of the the, the, the practitioners uh, is a guy named Nick Ortner, and uh, he's been teaching, uh, he's called it the Tapping Solution. And uh, in, uh, in Connecticut, when the killings happen, remember at the end of the year at, uh, Only too well. you know, at the school in mm-hmm. uh, Sandy Newtown, Connecticut, oh, there, yeah. uh, he lived there, and he started saying, I need to do something for the people who went through this trauma, the, the, the school killings. And he felt that tapping would help. He connected with some other people who lived in the town, as he did, and started helping the survivors, not only the, the teachers, the other students, the parents, the, uh, the, the officers, and the, you know, the, the personnel that were uh, police officers on. And what they found was the trauma, the traumatic effect, you know, decreased so that people didn't carry, you know, this traumatic experience through their lives. So EFT or tapping, we find, is just a really, really useful and helpful tool for dealing with all kind of uh, stress-related, you know, issues, including, you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome. So I assume if people are listening to this and they go to Google and they type in emotional freedom techniques, they'll find the technique and they can try it themselves? Yeah, they can do that. And, uh, you know, also... uh, you know, I describe it in my book, and if you, uh, you know, look, get it and look at it, I, I show you exactly where the tapping points are. Yeah, you can, you can Google it and find it fairly easily. Just put in tapping or EFT or emotional freedom techniques. You'll find a whole lot of uh, little charts and diagrams, and I have, uh, you know, a video where I actually show people, you know, how to do it. Uh, so, again, it's, it's easy to do, easy to find, and it works. Yeah, I'm looking at your book right here on page 198. There's a uh, a picture of a person, and there are different areas uh, uh, designated and uh, tells you how many times to tap and what to do so a person can get your book and just uh, follow by the numbers and do some tapping. And uh, certainly there's no downside risk. Tapping never hurt anybody. There's no negative side effects, for That's example. right. That's the, one of the glories of this, unlike... Uh, Medicine. You know, a lot of other techniques of medications, uh, you know, they all have side effects. These, you know, techniques don't have negative side effects. All the side effects are, it, it may heal even more things than you thought it would. Okay, so now we've talked about three different tools from your book. We've talked about heart coherence, earthing, emotional freedom techniques, Let's do uh, one more technique. We, oh, we have plenty of time here. Let's talk about attachment to love. Well, this what does is, that again, mean? A, an interesting, uh, you know, concept is that I think we all recognize, you know, me, uh, you mentioned I have five children and uh, now 13 grandchildren. Congratulations. I think we all know when our children are small that we need to have, you know, a strong emotional connection to them. And, the, you know, children need to feel that they have a connection to a parent who is solid and there for them and, you know, is, uh, you know, loving and caring and, and supportive. 
But what many of us think is that when we grow up, we kind of out, we outgrow that, you know, that we don't think we should need that kind of emotional support. Well, what I found is attachment love recognizes that the truth is we need the same kind of, you know, sense of connection with our, you know, our partner, our, our wife, our husband, our spouse, our lover, that we needed when we were a child. We don't outgrow that need, and that they're... You know, the stress that we have often in our lives comes from our disconnection from our relationships, from our disconnection from the earth, uh, our feeling of disconnection from ourselves. And so these simple, again, these are some simple things that I teach people to just recognize and to be able to ask for connection, you know, to ask, as I'm finding it was always hard for me to do, to ask my my wife, you know, say, look, I've had a, a, a tough day, it's stressful, would you hold me? Because I thought, oh, that's, that's childish, I shouldn't need to be held. But we all need to be held, and, you know, particularly for guys, this is probably one of the most important concepts and things that I can tell guys is that, you know, it's okay to need to be nurtured, to need to be cared for, to need to be held, to be able to reach out to... You know, our friends, our, our spouses, people in our lives say, you know, I really need a hug uh, without feeling like we're being childish or we're acting, you know, immature, or, you know, that dreaded feeling, I'm not being manly. <laughs> Some criticism coming down the pike. Exactly right. Sounds like a wonderful thing. In fact, I do it myself. I love putting my, my head on Jolie's shoulder, and uh, she puts her arm around me, and um, it's a wonderful feeling, regardless, it is. you know. It is. Call and, me crazy. Uh, <laughs> yep, it, it is, and uh, you know I want more, you know, people not only for men to do it, but for women to recognize, you know, and I think most women have an easier time both doing it themselves and being willing to be that nurturer to men. But men have that fear of not wanting to be unmanly or feeling that you know that if I do that, then I'm you know I'm 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 needing mothering rather than you know, passion from my wife. And what we know is that kind of the core of a good, passionate sex and love relationship is that feeling of connection and that feeling of emotional connection that, again, so many people seem to lose, you know, over time as they get older, uh, you know, as the stress goes up in our lives. So I see so many men that become kind of the lone rangers as they get older. They get more and more disconnected just when what they really need more than anything else is to feel cared for, to feel nurtured, to feel loved. And, you know, I just i am excited, as you can tell, to be able to let people know that we can change the story, if you will, you know, the, the fabric of how men have been so much in our lives, that old, uh, you know, nursery rhyme that little boys, you know, are made of snips and snails and puppy dogs' tails, where little girls are made of, sugar and spice and everything nice, you know. You want to hug people that are made of sugar and spice and everything nice, but you want to get away from those ones that somehow cut off those puppy dogs' tails. So we want to change the story. We want to recognize that, you know, men are good. Men are, you know, fine beings and that we, you know, can reach out to each other in ways that are nurturing and, and healing. And I, you know, I want to let people know not only that it's necessary to stop the killer stress that's hurting us. But it's fun and easy and joyful, 
and I want to make it, you know, a, a way that everybody can engage in these ways. It's really life-saving. What does it mean in your book when you say, say goodbye to James Bond and the Lone Ranger? Well, you know, that idea that somehow we've, we've grown up, many of us, not all of us, but many of us, with the, uh, you know, the symbol, the story of male invulnerability. Uh, you know, somehow it's manly to, uh, to, to play hurt, you know, in sports. You know, I watching the uh, NCAA basketball, and I used to play basketball when I was in school, and uh, I remember one of our, the heroes in my high school basketball team was a guy named Gail Goodrich. He went on to star at UCLA and then played for the Lakers for many years. And in high school, in the championship game, he came out at halftime and was injured. Went back into the game at the second half, won the game for us. Well, it turned out he had a broken ankle and was playing on a broken ankle for the game. And everybody cheered him, you know, because he was so tough and he was so, you know, manly to be able to do that. And I think this loner, I can handle anything approach, you know, is very deadly for men. So I want men to let go of that, you know, that separate, I can handle anything, I don't need help from anybody way of being, and recognize that we all need connection. We all need to feel loved and feel nurtured and cared for. And as we feel better about ourselves, that way we can also care more about the earth and not you know, run th- freeways through our valley or, you know, cut through the earth. Uh, there are many of us locally now trying to, you know, say there's a better way of taking care of our earth and we need to all come together to recognize that. An- another one of your, of your uh, headlines in your book uh, is emotional isolation is the killer. That's what you're talking about here right. now with James Bond and the Lone right. Ranger. But then you follow it with attachment love is the lifesaver. Right. Tell us, we have a little time left. Talk a little yeah. bit about how attachment love is the lifesaver. Well, what, 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 what I've recognized, and I've seen this in my own life, is that, uh, you know, the, the more stress I get under, kind of my default setting is to isolate, to close down, to, you know, I mean, the example is, you know, my wife would ask me, well, how, how, how are you? You know, she'd pick up, a look on my face, or I would seem overly tense. And my stock answer was, I'm okay. I'm fine. And after a while, you start believing that yourself. In other words, you, you, you're so disconnected from your actual emotional reality that you can be in terrible pain, being very cut off, but you say you're fine. And we know, how many men do we know over the years that, you know, have killed themselves and People say, yeah, but he, he seemed fine. He, you know, I, di- I didn't know he felt that way. So this idea of attachment love, to be open to nurture, to be open you know, for care, keeps us not only open to our own emotions and open to ourselves, but it keeps us open to our loved ones, you know, to our wives, our children, our grandchildren, to be able to be vulnerable, to be able to feel the emotional highs and the emotional lows that are part of life. And that, that, that's what I, you know, I hope for myself, and I'm, key, you know, I'm still working on it. I, you know, like all of us, I'm a work in progress, and sometimes I still go, 
you know, oh, man, I don't want to talk about it. I, you know, I can handle it myself. Yeah, but, leave me alone. Yeah, leave me alone. I can, mm. I can take care of myself, and but we, we can't. We need, we need each other. We need each other. You, so you've come to believe that uh, that what House at uh, at, uh, at the University of Michigan has said that the emotional isolation is more dangerous is a more dangerous health risk than smoking or high blood pressure. You believe that, don't you, Jim? I to- I totally do. You know, it, it seems again hard to believe that something, you know, as simple as emotional isolation can be a killer and uh, a cure to emotional connection. But we know, for instance, you know, two two statistics. We know that as men get older, the suicide rate goes up dramatically. So the men in their 60s have a suicide rate six times higher than women in their 60s. And when men get into their 80s, you know, the suicide rate for males is 17 times higher than it is for females of the same age. You know, we're all dealing with aging, but why do older men die so much more frequently at their own hands? They give up on life. Well, I think the reason is that women generally, not all obviously, but generally keep emotional connections with their friends, with their families, where men tend to get more isolated from friends and family as they get older. And that's what we want to change. The isolation is the killer. You quote uh, a mutual friend we have, Jed, uh, Sue Johnson, Ah. uh, uh, as saying, contact with a loving partner literally acts as a buffer against shock, stress, and pain. Exactly right. Yeah, Sue is one of my heroes, and I think she really, you know, studied this in some depth and really teaches us you know, not only the importance of these things, but how to, you know, how to actually do uh, what I call attachment love. You know, once we recognize the value, then there are, again, some, some techniques and some uh, tools that we can use to actually practice that in our own lives. Well, we've got about three minutes left, and I want to end on a topic that everybody loves to talk about. It's not one of the taboos, although sometimes it is, and that is sex in midlife and thereafter, one of the chapters in your book. You call, yeah. it, you call it the lion in winter. What, <laughs> exactly right, yeah. What do you want to leave us with today about uh, sex after uh, what age? Uh, 60, 65, uh, well, 55? Whatever. I think the, most, whatever. most of us uh, realize that uh, for for many, uh, you know, sex becomes, uh, it decreases for some as we get older. Uh, we disconnect, uh, you know, we find we're not having as much passion as we, as we want and we need. And the key to this is, is this that I've found, is that we think the solution is, you know, some kind of reinvigoration of our, quote, sex life. You know, read a sexy book, try a new position. What I've actually found is that the key to... A good sex life as we get older is emotional intimacy. And that's kind of what we're developing. You know, when we really feel emotionally intimate with our partner, then the sexuality flows more positively. And this is, you know, something that may sound counterintuitive and may scare some of you out there, but I found that so many of us, men and women as well, get so focused on orgasm as the focus of sexuality that if we're not having orgasms or we're just, you know, having loving intimacy, then there's something the matter with our sex life. 
So I want to encourage, you know, I, in my own life and in the lives of the people that I, I counsel that, you know, <laughs> you know there, there's a lot more to sex than just orgasms. And, you know, the touching and the intimacy, you know, is, is, is really the core of that. And, you know, just a last thought to, you know, to leave people with is I, I wish there was more time to, you know, talk to each pe- person and answer questions. But people can go, if this has been interesting to you, to my, my website and connect with me through there. It's called menalive.com. So it's easy to find and people can learn more about, you know, me and connect with me, ask questions, uh, join our, uh, you know, the, the, the tribe and, be part of the dialogue that hopefully will continue. Thank you so much, Jed. And thank you for coming today. You've been listening to our guest, uh, Dr. Jed Diamond. The book he's been talking about is Men Alive, Stop Killer Stress with Simple Energy Healing Tools. You can find Jed Diamond on Google very easily. I did last night. It took me just a couple of seconds. So thanks again for returning to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. We'll see you again soon, Jed. Thanks very much. Well, folks, that's, uh, that's been quite, a, uh, quite an interesting interview. Uh, the issue at the end that he's talking about, about the, you know, the great amount of, uh, of, of focus that is placed on, uh, on orgasm and sexuality, and of course we have all these erectile dysfunction medicines and so on and so on. But we don't have a medicine for intimacy, do we? Or do we? Maybe we can get somebody on the program, a scientist who will tell us, What's new coming down the pike to increase what we call intimacy, transparency, connecting with another human being? Maybe you all have some thoughts about it. I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, drrichardlmiller at gmail.com. Well, that's the end of our show. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, which is made possible by our KZYX staff and our in-studio engineer, my dear friend, Mike Delora. Please join me again in exactly two weeks at 9 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Until then, this is Dr. Richard Miller reminding you that good health is worth fighting for and is essential for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.